0: Good morning. We've been working our way through Paul's letter to the Romans and in this letter Paul lays out some fundamental Christian truths, basic truths, truths that that we build on. And there's one basic truth that with respect to spirituality that is kind of at the heart of things. Um, How do we arrive at a righteous status and if we would to define them in terms of christianity spirituality what we want to arrive at is righteousness and in this section paul will tell us how we do that and he'll tell us how we can go on a road that will not allow us to arrive at righteousness and how we can pursue a road that will allow us look what he says it's in your worship folder um romans chapter 9 verse 30 and we'll read through it as we talk about it this morning Um, beginning in verse 30 of chapter 9 Paul writes what shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it that is a righteousness that is by faith but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Paul was a Jew, and among his countrymen, there were a minority that believed that Jesus was the Son of God, and that he told them how to pursue a path of righteousness, and there were a majority of his countrymen at the time who did not believe that Jesus was God, and they pursued a path of righteousness that they had been walking on ever since Moses. Paul is quick to point out that the reason the majority of his countrymen didn't arrive at righteousness was not because of a lack of zeal and effort. It wasn't a lack of commitment. He bears them witness, but they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. It wasn't a matter of a lack of commitment, but it was a matter of a lack of knowledge. They pursued a road that they thought would bring them to where they wanted to get to, but it did not. They just didn't know. They climbed a ladder that was leading, leaning against the wrong building. Paul identifies where they went awry. Look what it says in verse 32, chapter 9. He says, why didn't they arrive? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. What what happened? What ended up happening? They stumbled over a stumbling stone. We would assume that stumbling was preventable. You know, like when you walk from here to there, and if you stumble, you say, oh, "I should have been more careful." And we think that that's probably assumed that that's what happened to them. You know, gee, they stumbled, and they should have been more careful. As it is, though, it's not that easy. A stumbling stone is a rock that you're going to stumble on. I was walking to the downtown library, and in the parking lot, somebody put. A stone of stumbling right in my way. And so I'm walking, I, I, and it is in springtime, and for whatever the reason, I usually am very coordinated. <laughs> but on this particular occasion, I stumbled over this stumbling stone, and I went head over, almost head over heels. I, I didn't catch myself. I had to do a shoulder roll and come up, and then naturally, what did I do on the other side of that? Oh, hey, yeah, I meant to do that, yeah. Um, We have a sense that when you stumble over a stumbling stone, you know, I, I told myself I should have been more careful, but in their case, it's not that simple. It's not just a stumbling stone, but it's called a rock of offense. A rock of offense is a snare. You know the way a snare works? there's like a box or an enclosure and there's a stick and this stick holds the box up there's something a bait that attracts what you want to capture and when you move in underneath the confines of this box you pull the you pull the string on the stick and it and it closes that's what paul's talking about There is a trap inside would appear to be an arrival at righteousness. But when you get inside, the string is pulled and you don't arrive at where you want to arrive at. We might, again, we assume, shouldn't they have sidestepped the stumbling stone? And part of the problem is, that the stumbling stone just didn't get there. Look, God put it there. Look what it says in verse 33. God says, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So God laid out this path, the path of righteousness, He communicated what it would mean for the children of Israel from Mount Sinai to pursue a path of righteousness. Uh, He instructed them what they were to do, what they were to say, when they were to say it. And they never arrived at their destination. He encouraged them to move along this path. They never got there. They never got to righteousness. In fact, only two got to the promised land. Um, God put a rock in the way. Shouldn't they have known? And again, it says they pursued it as if it were by works. And we would imagine, well, that was the problem. They should have known. This is what Moses told them. See if you would have taken it any differently. Here's what he says. Verse 5 of... uh, Romans 10, Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, the righteousness is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. So if you're looking to live with God, it's pretty clear here that When you do what God asks you to do, that's how you get your life. Would you agree? There's not much confusing here. Look what it says in Leviticus. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws, for the man who obeys them will live by them. This is what the righteousness by law says. Do the do's, don't do the don'ts, and you will get to a righteous status. And so... Well, I, I understand what that's like. That's, that's the road that I took very early on in life. I'm going to do what I need to do and not do what I don't need to do, and I'm going to walk the path, and, and I'm going to get to a righteous status. I think all of us kind of, we have believed or believe that that's the way you go about doing it. Um, the fact is, it isn't possible to pursue a path of righteousness based on law and not stumble. Here's what it says. If you are seeking to do the do's and not do the don'ts in order to arrive at righteousness, what Paul is saying, you're not going to get there. You're going to be like me on the way to the library. You're going to stumble and fall, but you're not going to do a barrel wall. You're not going to end up arriving at your destination. We cannot behave well enough for God to look at our behavior and say, you made it. You have a passing grade. That's what Paul is saying. And we say, well, how do we get there? We're going to talk about that. But first, we need to clarify how we're not going to get there. Do you agree? That's half the battle sometime. Not knowing how it works. But knowing how it doesn't work, and that's what Paul clarifies first. um, It isn't possible to pursue righteousness because, again, that's why Christ came to the earth. Look what it says in verse 4. Christ is the end of the law of righteousness for those who believe. Christ is the end of the law of righteousness for those who believe. End could mean three different things. End can mean fulfillment, end can mean goal, or end can mean termination. He might be saying Christ is the fulfillment of the law. And if he's saying Christ is the fulfillment of the law, he's saying Christ completes the law. He is the one who did all the do's. He didn't do the don'ts. He fulfilled the law. could That's what he could be saying. He might be saying Christ is the goal of the law, that Christ complies with the law, that he, he was the perfect sacrifice. He not only did the do's and didn't do the don'ts, but he also sacrificed himself. Because in the law, if you messed up, you had to sacrifice something so that, Your errors, your sins could be removed. And so it could mean that. Not that Christ is a perfect example, but that he's the perfect sacrifice. It could be either one of those things. It doesn't seem like that's the thing, though. It seems to be saying something different. Again, I apologize. Our slide computer crashed this morning. And so... There was very stimulating slides we're not showing now. That I mean, that would really clarify all of this. So, so, excuse me. No. do what we can. There's Paul says this when we saw several weeks ago. Here's what he says: You died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another. And the way the Bible talks, you could be married to the law, And if you're married to the law, then you try to make progress on the path of righteousness by doing the do's and not doing the don'ts, by keeping the commandments. That's what it means to be married to the law. What it says, what Paul says, that you died to the law through the body of Christ. Here's what happened. It says the law has jurisdiction over us as long as we're alive. If you are married in, at that time, if you were married in Israel, you were, a wife was bound to the husband as long as the husband was alive. If the husband died, she's free to marry somebody else. There's no law. The law has been erased because death severs the law. And what Paul says, here's what he says. What happened when Christ Died, he was no longer under the jurisdiction of all covenant law because death severed that. But with Jesus, then, he rose above the jurisdiction of all covenant law. And we'll talk about what that means. And then he was raised. Now, here's the deal when we believe in Christ, it's as if we are. Crucified. Now, we're not actually crucified, but in God's eyes, we are crucified with Christ. We die with him and are raised with him. And you know what that means? If he died and if his death is credited to us, you know what that means? We're no longer under the jurisdiction of the old covenant. So God's not looking at you saying, did you do the dues and, and did you... Avoid the don'ts, and did you do it well enough? That road is not going to get you to righteousness. It never did with them. They they took the road, but it never got there. You know what Jesus came to do? If you came in on from the south, and I believe from the north, there's a sign that says, road closed. And you still take it, and some of you, as we've been saying, if, if some of you haven't had the luxury of being here during the rainy season. By the way, we, we have, we've kind of, for a while there, we were, we were thinking of a project. We were thinking of building an ark. And um, that seemed like a reasonable thing to do. And making this more like Venice. And we were going to try to get boats that were going to guide us along. Because this is this would be a better canal than a road for a while. Just if you haven't been here, it's been just deplorable trying to get here. And it's been awful. At any rate, I completely forgot what I was saying. Why did I talk about this? Hmm... This happens, by the way, every once in a while. I'll get into these stimulating discussions, then I'll completely forget my point, And I'm still forgetting my point, even though I'm trying to remember. Anyway, I, so it's, I do remember, it's a, um, when it says road closed, you know what Jesus, what Jesus did? The cross, in fact, if you notice, there's a bridge, there's a bridge that runs across Right over here. Let me see. Am I right there? Yeah, I got the right thing. We had to put up a sign on the bridge. It's not the most stable bridge. And we have hope pastoral counseling on the other side in the house over there. And so a client came in once, not familiar with the structural integrity of the bridge, had a yukon i believe big vehicle left the counseling and again because he was a counseling he was well he wasn't in his right mind i'm not what that says about counseling anyways what ended up happening to our horror we saw him take off and he rather than take a left into the driveway out the driveway along this wonderful road he started to pursue and go up on the asphalt and move towards the bridge. And his tires hit the bridge, and he went across it. Now, we dropped to our knees immediately and and begged. You know, we actually did. We saw him when he got through on the other side. Um, he's saying, "Mike, what's all this about? You know what the cross really is about." The cross is like a road closed sign on the path of righteousness that is by law. And the cross is road closed. You can't get there from here. If you're going to try to keep the commandments in order to be righteous enough for God to declare you righteous, you're going to have to steer around the cross because that is what the cross is. It's a road-closed sign. You can't get over to God by keeping the commandments. That's that's what Jesus, when it says he is the end of the law, it's really not talking about goal. And it's really not fulfilling. You know what it means when it says Christ is the end of the law? Termination. That's what it means. Christ is the termination of the law. God takes that Out of the way, road closed, put up a sign. We're not, now. a lot of people, they still squeeze by the cross and and try to do the do's and not do the don'ts in order to get God to like them. But you have to kind of, you have to, because that's really what the cross is about. Christ is the end of the law um, to those who believe. Um, So the law is the stumbling stone and Jesus is the cornerstone. What does it mean then? To take the right road. We've talked about the wrong road. Look what he says in verse 6. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. What it's talking about? When God gave them the old covenant and the new, he he wasn't trying to be clever. When he gave the commandments from Mount Sinai, it was clear. We'd, they didn't have to say, well, how are we going to get God to talk to us? He was very overt. When God makes his stipulations, his commands known, he means very clear about it. And that's what he did from Mount Sinai. He told them exactly what they had to do. There wasn't a lot of wiggle room. And it's the same thing with Christ. Now, Christ tells us. A different thing, but what Paul is writing, we don't have to go up to say, "Hey Jesus, how do we get there?" And we don't have to bring them up to say, "Hey Jesus, how do we get there?" He makes it clear. That's what that's what Paul is saying. The word is near you. It is in your mouth. Verse it says in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. Verse nine. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart. That God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, "Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame." What does God want with us on this side of the cross? Is what he says. Look what it says in verse nine: If you confess with your mouth, "Jesus is Lord," and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, here's what we have to do. Confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead, and will be saved. It's important to get the message of the cross right. What does it mean that Jesus is Lord? What does it mean that he was raised from the dead? Why is that important? According to Paul, why it's important? So we will know both how to pursue a path that leads to righteousness and how not to. Christ is the end of the law for everyone who believes. He's the termination of the law. If you are trying to obey the commandments well enough, in order to get a righteous status and have God approve of you, you don't understand what it means that Jesus is Lord. And you're not really understanding that God raised him from the dead. That's what Paul is saying, because when we understand that Jesus is Lord, and when we understand that God raised him from the dead, what we understand is that this path to righteousness has a cross across it, road closed. The path of righteousness now is when you understand that, oh, that's it. God's not looking at my life now, determining, did you do it well enough or did you not? What Jesus did, he is the termination of the law. God's not judging us that way. And so we'd say, well, that doesn't make sense. Why would God close That road and what it means then, I just need to understand what road I don't take. That's the big thing about being saved, knowing the road that doesn't get there. And the road that does get there is believing. Here's the deal. If you believe, if you are acting as if God will love me if I do it well, and he will judge me if I don't, what's your relationship with God going to be like? Think about it. You know what you're going to do? You can do what we all do. We we try to to make a case in our mind that we're going to make it. And you know what we do? You do what I do. We compare ourselves with others. Well, I might not be a perfect example of Christianity, but again, of course, I'm going to take on Travis. But I'm sure I'm better than... <laughs> you know, yeah, but I'm, yeah, That's what we do. We compare ourselves with others. And if we do better than others, we start to feel a little more secure. Or we don't compare ourselves with others. We pretend. We pretend that we don't struggle as much as we do. We push down things inside that we struggle with. People ask, how are you doing spiritually? We say, fine. But we're not really doing fine. That's that's what we do to try to find um our way towards God. We're supposed to believe that Jesus is Lord and that this path no longer works and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. It's important that we get the message right. And what we're going to see with Christianity, the message is everything. Look what he says in verse 12. How are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah says, "Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. We're almost done. This is probably the most important part because it's really getting down to the nut of it for God, faith is everything. How do we get faith? How do we do that? That's what he's asking us to do, to believe that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead. He's asking us to have faith. How do we get faith? It says faith comes from hearing. That's not a great translation. The word is not really hearing. It's related to hearing. Here's the specific word is message. Faith comes from the message, the report, the declaration, the thing that's being reported as news. When you read the paper, if you read the paper this morning, you don't read the paper in order to figure out what you're going to do. Now, again, there's sometimes if you read the weather, then it will help you figure out if am I going to take a trip today or not. But what news is about, it's it appeals to your belief. You read this. You can't always read what you, you, know, you can't always read what the paper says, but that's what it appeals to. There's a news story. What do you do with the news story? You either believe it or you don't. That's what you do with a message, with a report. With the news story, you believe it or you don't. And if you believe it, sometimes it changes how you act, but the news is related to what you believe. That's what it's saying. Faith comes from the story, the news report. Faith comes from that, the message. And you know what the message is? That Jesus is the end of the law. For everyone who believes. That's the message. That's the message. Now, it will change what you do, but initially, it's not telling you do. What it's telling you, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Christ is the end of the law for everyone who believes. The termination of the law. It's not the means whereby God is judging you. If you believe that, you would be having faith. Faith comes from the message. When you hear the message, now you're in a position to believe it or not. That's why Paul says, how can you believe unless somebody is sent? And how can that work if you don't hear a message, you can't put your faith in it? We have to get the message Right. And you know what the message is? That's what Paul says the message is. We died to the law through the body of Christ. We might belong to another. We, God doesn't look at us and judge us by whether we're keeping the commandments well enough. That way of trying to pursue righteousness ended when Jesus died. He crucified that way. And now he wants to know what he's assessing is. Are you believing that? How would you know if you're believing it? Travis talked about talking to God and what he wants. If you believe that Christ died so that you might have a you know in fact, here's here's a way. You know what the message is in one word? Here's what it says. We looked at this once, and this is as far as the verse, 2 Corinthians 5, I would would have been up on the on the thing, but see if you can catch it. See if you can remember this. It it describes what the message of the gospel is. God was in Christ. Let me see. Let me see if I remember it. I'm sorry, that's right. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. I want you to listen. That's the message. It's called the message of reconciliation. What reconciliation is, it's if we have a problem and I want to reconcile with you, what I will do, what is write you maybe a note. And if I write you this note, saying, you know what, we had a problem, but now the problem is taken care of. If I give you this note, if she doesn't read the note, are we reconciled? Will she know, will we have a relationship? What happens if she reads the note and doesn't believe it? Will we have a relationship? What happens if she reads the note and believes it? Do we have a relationship? That's the way it works. The message is the message of reconciliation. Here is what it says. God does not treat you or see you as his enemy. God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And He has given us the message of reconciliation. That's the message. Faith comes from the message. Once you get the message right, now you know what you're supposed to put faith in. You know what faith means for you? God, you're not mad at me. You're not thinking about what I did yesterday. You're not focused on what I did last week. You're not. You don't see me as an enemy. You don't see me as an enemy. You don't see me as an enemy. That's the message. That's the message. Here's my question. What am I going to ask? Do you believe it? And what happened if you did believe it? You know what happened? It would be a little bit easier for you to talk to God, you know, why? because you you could understand that he likes you and wants a relationship with you. He doesn't look at you and say, he doesn't. That's the message. Faith comes from the message and the message is from the word of Christ. That's what Paul, that's the basics. Everything is built on that. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And again, we're almost done. If God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, does that mean God is has a relationship with everyone in the world? Does it mean that? Well, he was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Doesn't mean that everyone in the world has a relationship with him, right? What needs to happen? They need to hear the message. But if they hear the message, then everybody who hears the message, they're in, right? You've got to believe it. You hear the message and believe it. That's what. That's the message of the cross. It's the message of reconciliation. Um, There's an article in here. I'm going to read this quick. And that's that's how we're going to close our time. Read along with me. It's from, what it did for a series through Ephesians. And it begins as God racist. From Ephesians. I'll just read this through. Follow along if you care to. He himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the two being Jews and Gentiles. It says at the cross, he made two one. Um, destroying the barrier the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, abolishing, terminating. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Discrimination based on race, class, and gender was practiced within ancient Judaism. In fact, the Old Covenant, mediated by Moses, was blatantly discriminatory. It mandated racial discrimination. And then from Deuteronomy, when the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, Gergeshites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them Totally make no treaty with them and show them no mercy for you are a people holy to the Lord, your God, the Lord, your God has chosen you speaking about the Jews here out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. God chose the Israelites out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people. While this was good news for Israel, it was bad news for everyone else. Commenting on the status of Gentiles within the Old Covenant, Paul indicates that non-Jews were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. Even though God chose the children of Israel to be his treasured possession, his purposes were always global In scope, God predetermined that when his eternal purposes were fulfilled, his people would be racially diverse. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. On the cross, Jesus put to death the sacred grounds for discrimination and racial hostility. The temple in Jerusalem was constructed as a series of courtyards within courtyards. Each being increasingly restrictive, the outermost courtyard of the Gentiles was separated from the main part of the temple by a four-foot wall. Inscribed on this barrier in Greek and Latin in red letters on white limestone was this warning. Let no Gentile enter within the balustrade and enclosure about the sanctuary. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Paul himself narrowly escaped death when he was suspected of violating the sanctity of the temple by taking a Gentile into one of the inner courts. Men of Israel, help us. This is the man, speaking of Paul, who teaches all men everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple area and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian in the city and Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple area. Jesus destroyed this dividing wall of hostility, this white limestone with red letters. He destroyed it that separated you from Gentiles by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. There is some confusion today regarding Jesus' relationship to the Old Covenant. Some quote the following verse as proof that Jesus left the Old Covenant intact. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. This confusion is easily cleared up. The phrase, the law of the prophets, refers not to the Mosaic law, the Old Covenant, but to the 39 books of the Old Testament. Jesus did not come to abolish the Old Testament, the 39 books. He did come to abolish the Old Covenant. Do you understand the difference? He did not come to abolish the Old Testament. He did come to abolish the old covenant and inaugurate a new covenant. By inaugurating the new covenant, Jesus repealed the old covenant that sanctioned racial discrimination in the first place. And in so doing, Jesus dealt a death blow to the practice of sacred racism. Paul is wanting Jewish Christians to carry this message to Gentiles. And he wants Thank us to believe it now, almost 2,000 years later. Um, For faith to exist, the message must be accurate. It's not just that Jesus dies, but it's... Come on up, Brett. We're going to have a closing song. It's not just that Jesus dies. It's what that means, that Jesus dies. And what it means is that the old covenant has been repealed and replaced with a new covenant in which... All who believe in Jesus are, through that belief, invited to become children of God. Thanks for your purposes and your promises. Pray that you'd help us to, over time, understand the mission of Jesus more clearly so that if we understand what you were saying to us, we can believe it. Again, it's confusing. I pray that there would be increasing clarity. And I pray that if we keep on coming back to that message, that you would allow us to see it more clearly. Thanks for the graduates and for your purposes for them. The word says you will fulfill your purpose for us. And thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.